0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. Good to be with you again. James Fox alongside us. He's our senior editor over at Future Sox, now part of SoxMachine.com. If you haven't heard, check us out at SoxMachine.com forward slash Future Socks. We are now part of that platform and also part of the Blue Wire Network. So if you subscribe to our podcast, you will see us weekly on Tuesdays right there for you. Nice, safe, and sound. So if you enjoy the content, we appreciate your support continue to be with us throughout the Major League Baseball season and throughout the offseason. We cover everything minor league baseball. And now, since we're attached to Sox machine, James, we get to focus a little bit more on the Major League Club. And we do hit on that in the interview upcoming with Jim Callis. So we really uh, are excited for the listener yourself to hear what he has to say. A ton of great insight coming up. But how fun is that, James? We can not necessarily be restricted to future Sox and the minor leagues here in, in the organization, but just to be able to branch out, allow yourself to have thoughts on the big league club without any restrictions. It's kind of nice. I'll be honest.
2: Yeah. It's, you know, it's been fun so far, obviously, you know, I did big league content sometimes, you know, somewhere else, obviously, but having it all kind of linked together and the synergy here has been great. Um, You know, we, we got a ton of content on the site. There's been some interesting minor league performances to start the year. You know, I, you know, I've mentioned this before, but you know, I don't think we disagree with the 30th ranked prospect ranking, right? I mean, I think they got there and everybody talks about how they got there for the right reasons and whether you believe that or not, like that's fine. But I feel like there's prospects that I'm following every night in a 30th ranked system. It's just, you know, it's kind of weird to me. It's just, you know, it's, I, I kind of reference like, you know, the White Sox have been 30 before with a guy like Edison Reed as their main prospect. And, you know, this time they might have two or three guys that end up in the top 100 by the end of the year.
1: And we'll get into a little bit with Jim Callis, the senior writer at MLB.com for Major League Baseball Pipeline, covers prospects across the country. When you talk about that specifically, like Luis Mieses is standing out, Brian Ramos is a, a walking highlight reel, and Jose Rodriguez is standing out as a highly touted prospect struggling a little bit in Birmingham. We'll get to that. But these are names. Like you said, it's not necessarily this is a bunch of guys in the top in, in the thirtieth ranked system in Major League Baseball. There are highlighted players scattered across the White Sox top thirty that could elevate this group to, you know, in the in the lower third there at the top end of the lower third there sooner rather than later. I know you're going to get into the draft conversation a little bit late in the interview with Jim Callis, and that hopefully will again make this organization take the next step in terms of how evaluators perceive them but there that's what we're excited about James is highlighting specific players that are on the top end of this 30th rank system guys like Colson Montgomery and Wes Cath and then even those who are or fans I should say are unfamiliar with those types of names I mean these are these are fun times to get involved in finding out what the White Sox really do have organizationally I think it's an interesting kind of thought to have is how do you evaluate the White Sox in terms of going after pitching prospects or building their depth the way they are internally? The draft, I know we're a few months away from the draft, but this is a topic of conversation already because it is telling as to how Mike Shirley and the rest of the organization is trying to structure this team moving forward.
2: Yeah. And, you know, like we were talking about content earlier, me and Josh, you know, put our first mock draft up on the site, you know, that that's one other positive, you know, of working with those guys is Josh consumes a lot of college baseball. Whereas I, you know, I mostly catch up late. I feel like, um, like closer to the start of the draft and do, you know, a lot more of my research. Then he's seen a lot of these players. So, you know, nobody will be shocked to know that I projected a a high school center fielder and Josh put a college pitcher. So you'll have to go to the site to read that, you know, one last thing, you mentioned the pitching development. I think it's lacking. I think we're going to, You know, it's going to be a point of conversation all year. I think the White Sox know that maybe some changes are in order with how they've been developing pitchers. But I will say, like, I'm interested to dig in as the year goes on, on the developmental side for for hitters on the offensive side, because, you know, like you've mentioned some names, some under the radar names. There's lots of guys producing right now and. You know, their their new hitting coordinator in the minor leagues is a guy by the name of Andy Barquette. You know, he he was in Pittsburgh for a while. He was in Boston with Tony as the assistant hitting coach in the majors. So, you know, I don't know how much he has to do with it, but it's definitely something I'm going to dig into. They have a new biomechanics analyst, and, you know, the the guys are hitting really well at Winston-Salem. That's where Nikki Delmonico is the hitting coach this year. So, you know, these are just like some you know, tertiary stories, I guess, that I'm going to keep my eye on because, you know, the offensive display early on in this minor league season has been interesting.
1: Sounds like a feature story if you ask me, and I'm just saying, but that's why we have you, James. You're on it. So that's James Fox. My name is Mike Rankin. Again, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Future Sox Podcast, now part of the Blue Wire Network and also part of SoxMachine.com. We have Jim Callis joining us again. I'm biased, man, this is a good interview. He provides a ton of insight on the organization. So stick with us, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, it's Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline joining us on the Future Sox podcast.
0: The best way to learn a language? Immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com/slash Bluewire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: It's great to be joined again by Jim Callis at Jim Callis MLB on Twitter. He is the senior writer for MLB Pipeline on MLB.com and he is an expert on Major League Baseball prospects across all of Major League Baseball, and it's, it's wonderful to talk to him specifically about the White Sox selfishly because, well, we really enjoy his work and we take advantage of it. With that being said, Jim, welcome back. First Thanks. of all, it's always great to talk to you. Uh, I want to start the conversation with this because it intrigued me going into this season. I expected at least some verbiage to come out regarding Service time manipulation or the significance of prospects in the big leagues. You know, a lot of the time we consider the younger prospects or those who are, you know, 22 years old, 23 years old in the big leagues the currency of the game these days. And it seems like, you know, I don't know if it's a record number, but there's a lot of top prospects who made the opening day roster to begin this season. You know, guys like Hunter Green and Jeremy Pena and Julio Rodriguez, just to name a few, Spencer Spencer Torkelson in the American League Central. Is there anything outside of just them being ready to play in the big leagues that has – organizations these days motivated to bring them up right away
3: i think there's a, a a number of things i mean one i think this is a really talented class i mean you know we had and we went back and looked and we couldn't find a case where we three of our top five prospects going into a season at, at mlb.com you know with with bobby Wood jr and julio rodriguez and spencer torkelson um all debuted in the big leagues on opening day Um, and it would have maybe been five for five if Adley Rutschman and Riley Green hadn't been hurt. So I I think that was unusual for one. I I know, you know, I think people have been trying to credit like, oh, this new rule where if you have the rookie eligible player, who's on a preseason, you know, multiple preseason top 100 prospects rankings, I think by us and Baseball American ESPN, and they get a full year service time. Um, uh. And um, they finish, what is it, first or second in the Rookie of the Year voting or top three in MVP or Cy Young Award voting before they're eligible for arbitration. You can get extra picks in the draft. So I, I, I know – like I, I think – you know, the, the people would like to say, "Oh, like, hey, the new CBA, it's working great." I, I, you know, maybe that played part of it, but but I think like the other thing is too, I think a lot of these young guys who are up right now are on teams that are trying to win, or at least feel like they have a shot to contend going into the year, and and I think the expanded playoffs played a part in that. But you know, like like with Bobby Wood Jr. and we could debate like, are, are the Royals really going to contend? I mean, I think if they're like young pitching came through, they might, yeah, they, they probably aren't. They're like the Tigers. They're, they're kind of a borderline contender, depending on what their young pitching does. But like, I think Dayton Moore has always been about doing what's right for the game. And if Bobby Wood Jr. deserved to make the team, they were never going to manipulate him. And I think the Mariners who just missed the playoffs last year are trying to contend. So like, it was a no brainer to call up Julio Rodriguez. And I think the Tigers, you know, like I said, if their young pitching comes through, although, you know, as we record this Casey Mize has just gone on the DL um, you know, I think that's why they call up Torkelson and, you know, the reds, weren't too far off last year. And although they, they got rid of a lot of their pitchers, they have a lot of good young pitchers up. So I think that's why Hunter Green's up. So I, I think it's just kind of a perfect storm where you have some really great prospects. You have teams that are trying to win in a more expanded playoff field. I do think that the, the the potential for having an extra pick if you don't try to manipulate um, helps too. And, and I also think that You know, maybe part of the reason we have so many guys kind of coming up at once is is I think that, you know, not having a season in 2020 kind of slowed down some guys who might have already been up. Like you can argue if Julio Rodriguez had a full season in 2020, maybe he's up last year. You know, maybe Bobby Witt's up last year. You know, maybe, you know, maybe not Torkelson because he was drafted in 2020. But we might, you know, know, we might have seen some of these guys in advance. So I I think it's a variety of all those factors, honestly.
2: So. You know, Jim. This the White Sox farm system is obviously you know it's been at the bottom pretty much for everybody's rankings. Um, no argument from us, but it's it's weird for a 30th ranked system. There's like a lot of guys that I've been following early on. You know, starting with their first rounder last year, Colson Montgomery. Was there any debate for you about him being the number one prospect in this system? And then you know he's he's kind of walked a ton, and he's in he's in low A obviously. But anything about that? and his decent start so par- so far surprising to you
3: yeah i mean they are ranked 30th but like i always tell people the rankings are very cyclical and it was only a couple of years ago like i know they were number 1 on our list i mean that was probably like maybe four or five years ago. But they've been a consistent top five, top ten farm system and and they basically did their job. They graduated everybody to the big leagues and, and all these, you know, so I mean if you look at the at the big league club, it's a lot of guys who've come through the system and obviously it's a very good big league club. Um and it's hard, you know, once you start to win, you get fewer draft picks and less bonus pool money and, you know, less international pool money. And you're not trading Chris sale for Adam Eaton for prospects. You're trading prospects for players. So, um, you know, I, you know, I don't think, and not that you guys were saying it was either. I, I don't think them being 30th is an indictment. I think it's more just kind of a statement of where they are in the cycle. I mean, yeah, I mean, you wish it was better, but you know, I, I don't think, I mean, you guys are white Sox fans. Do you have any complaints about the big league team right now? Now, I know you guys weren't saying this, but I know like sometimes like we'll get like, oh, how could you rank like somebody else say like, how could you rank our system so poorly? Like, or what does that say? Like they're doing a bad job. And and I don't think the White Sox are doing a bad job. But but beginning to to, you know, like I said, it's just cyclical. But getting to Colson Montgomery, I, I think the only other guy you could pro- you could debate having number one going into the year might have been Oscar Colas um, and you just get such a wide range of performance on the Cubans when they, when they make their debuts that I tend to wait and see how they perform, I guess, a little bit. Like, like, I mean, if somebody wanted to Oscar or Oscar argue Oscar Colossus, number one, I'd say, sure. Cause you could argue that he might have a higher, ceiling than Colson, and higher offensive ceiling than Colson Montgomery. Like you could, I think you could argue that, but I I do think a, you know, Colson is three years younger, not that either one of them played a whole lot, but he's an infielder. Coloss is an outfielder Coloss, you know, probably a right fielder, uh, when all is said and done, you know, we'll see on Montgomery, but you know, he might be able to stay at shortstop. I mean, he's, he's bigger, but he's pretty athletic. So I think you've got the potential for significantly more defensive value from colson so i didn't i didn't really debate about it too much i mean how about you guys i mean who, who did you guys have who do you guys have number one on your list and and how close was it
2: so we we have montgomery one um it was hard with with oscar Colas, obviously like you've said i mean i know jesse sanchez does that for you guys and then you know it's just like tough to rank. So we had him up there. Like we, we really like Norhe Vera a lot too, but he's sidelined again right now and hasn't pitched and he's probably not going to pitch till June. So, you know, those were our top three. I think we were pretty much in lockstep, like just having Colson Montgomery there. So I'm kind of excited to see how he started. Yeah. And he's so. off to,
3: I mean, it's, yeah. And you guys had asked about that too. And, and I was seeing, like, like sometimes you'll have people make an argument like, Oh, Oscar Colas hasn't played yet. And Colson Montgomery only played a little bit in rookie ball. And, and even like Norie Vera was only in the DSL. So like, if like, sometimes you'll have people say you got to give it to a guy who's, who's played a little bit, which I don't agree with. Cause I think you're looking at, you know, long-term value. And just because Oscar Colas hasn't played in the game, doesn't diminish his long-term value. You just have to project what it is. So it's like, if you're going on, guys who had played full season ball. I I guess my guy might've been Jose Rodriguez. Um, But again, I think you're looking at long-term value. So I have to do that with Colson. I mean, it's early. I mean, he's played, I think as we record this 33 professional games, you know, seven in low a, but you mentioned, you guys mentioned the walks. And I do think that's promising. Like, I don't, I don't care too much. Like, especially debut summer stats. I don't worry about too much unless they're, they're bad. Then, then, then like I think there's a little cause for question but I but I think the most encouraging thing about Colson you know not not so much the raw numbers is just that like you noted I mean he's controlling the strike zone really well like he's drawn a really healthy amount of walks and like you just honestly I don't think have any idea I mean you can I mean obviously teams have to do this when they're drafting guys and, and we try to do it when you know all of us are analyzing prospects, but when you're taking these guys from, especially like high school ball, into pro ball, you don't really have any idea how they're how they're going to manage the strike zone. You might be able to look at some data from showcases, like oh, here's 20 at bats we got, you know, or 40 at bats we got at at showcases, but you don't know exactly what's going on there. So, I, I, to me, the most encouraging part for Colson um, is that he has shown like really good patience at the plate, and, and I think, I mean, again, it's small sample sizes you could argue you know in rookie ball it's not like sometimes uh, you know drawing walks isn't indicative of like oh he's got a great eye it may just be hey he's a first round pick and they're pitching around him and pitching around a guy in rookie ball they're not pitching three inches off the plate it's like a foot off the you know plate and, and, and it's easier to discern but he's he's walking again this year and I think that's a, a very very promising sign and also in an odd sort of way like I mean look I mean he's probably going to be I think he's going to hit for average and power, but just because of his size, um, you know, I, I think he'll probably be a little bit more power than hit. And even though he doesn't have a home run, like in a weird way, he's got 10 doubles, which is a super healthy amount of doubles. I, I almost, I mean, again, you'd like to see home runs. It's going to sound stupid. I almost look at that as like almost an encouraging sign. Like he hasn't come into pro ball, swinging for the fences, trying to show everybody he's a first round pick and he's got power. I think he's, he's just coming to pro ball and and just looks very natural at the plate instead of trying to sell out and force things. So um, that's been my biggest takeaway from him so far.
1: Yeah. Right. There just goes inside the mind of, of evaluating prospects like that in in terms of creating rankings and expectations. I mean, that is wonderful insight, Jim. Let me take you to this because you brought up the big league club as well as Oscar Colas. If you could put yourself in the shoes of the organization in in the GM's office, And this offseason, the White Sox fan base was, you know, they were really excited about expectations this year. And, you know, they did go out and make a trade for uh, A.J. Pollock, and he's under control for two years now. And they decided against signing a free agent outfielder to a long-term contract. And they, you know what, they haven't done that over the last five seasons. So with that being said, related to what they have in the farm system, Oscar Colas, Yolke Cespedes, as well as what they have depth wise in the big leagues at Luis Robert. And as well, you can consider Andrew Vaughn, you know, Jose Abreu is getting older at first base and Andrew Vaughn, uh, at least the expectations here is he could be the future at first base. Do you think the depth within the system regarding Oscar Colas and their confidence in Cespedes had them a little reluctant to going out and signing a long-term piece in the outfield, or is it just a matter of their philosophy saying we want to have as much flexibility as possible and not tying ourselves down long-term to one player?
3: I think it was probably both. I mean, I think if, like, you know, and I don't know that they've really ever, you know, they they haven't ever given out one of those, like, $300 million contracts, you know, to, like, a a superstar. Like, If Aaron Judge becomes a free agent, I don't even know that they'd go out, you know, and and, and try to get him. I mean, I know they tried to sign Machado, but I think it's some of both because, like, like you, you can never have too much talent But you could kind of even look at the White Sox now, and it's hard to kind of squeeze everybody in to the lineup. You know, as long as Abreu remains productive, Andrew Vaughn's really not an outfielder. Like, so Andrew Vaughn's, you know, your DH. And... You know, you've got, you know, I think Eloy Jimenez is going to be a star. I think Luis Roberts is going to be a star. So there's two of your outfield spots. I mean, you can debate about Eloy, should he be a DH, but you can't really DH him if you've got Andrew Vaughn um, at, at DH until, you know, Jose Abreu ever drops off. You know, right field's a little bit open. I, I love the A.J. Pollock move for what they got him for. Um, I think AG's just a professional hitter. I think he fits well. You know, I, I have less confidence, say, in Adam Engel's bat. But, like, you know, he's a good defender. He can run. He can do some things. Like, so you, you got kind of that, you know, angle, poly combination and right. And I think that just kind of keeps it warm until Suspetus and or Colas is ready. Now, the interesting thing would be if Cespedes and Coloss are as good as the White Sox hope they're going to be, and Jimenez and Robert are as well and you have Vaughn and you still have Abreu at first you know and they're using Grandall at, at DH2 you are going to have more guys in spots you know but like i, I don't think that's going to happen right away because I, I you know realistically Colossus needs at least a year in the minors um and, and they're kind of ha- like he's i know he's at high A right now and if he tears it up he might be in double A but like i don't think we're going to see Coloss this year and we'll see on Suspedus I, I haven't it was just Arizona fall league but You know, I I don't know. I'm not I'm not quite sure. I think Yolki Suspedes is as good as the White Sox hope he's going to be. I just I've talked to a lot of guys who question the bat and and I just wonder about the bat a little bit. So maybe that'll resolve itself and and they won't have an overabundance of talent. But I I do think that depth and, and the number of options they have. And there's only so many spots in the lineup for everybody. Um, did lead to some of that decision making, and, and I thought getting AJ Pollock was just a great pickup too. So, like, I, I think even for the short term, Pollock and Angle can can hold down right field while they wait to see how good the Cubans
2: are. Jim, when you saw them this spring, did you see Colas in person at all? I
3: did. I just I was running around. It was it was kind of great. it was great because I hadn't been. I didn't go to spring training last year because we didn't travel to spring training. And I didn't go to Arizona in 2020. I'd, I'd done a little time in Florida before the pandemic. So I, I was I did ted camp, 10 camps in 10 days. But at the same time, because of the lockout schedule, uh, lockout affected our schedule on when stuff came out. I was writing up a bunch of top 30 prospects reports while running around spring training. So it was kind of crazy. But I did, I, I did do both White Sox camp and Dodgers camp. And um, I did get backfields games both days. And the day I was doing the Dodgers camp, they were playing the White Sox. The White Sox just, you know, walked over from the other side or, or golf carted over from the other side of Camelback Ranch. So I did see them. And um, I did, you know, I actually saw Colas, you know, I, I think I saw him triple. Either hit a double or triple um, the opposite way to left. It must have been double. I don't think he tripled to left. And then I, I saw, like, I, I kind of had half an I was trying to watch two games at once and I saw him crush a ball. Um, when I was at watching my Dodgers day, although they're playing the White Sox. And so I didn't see if it went out, but he crushed, he he pulled the ball. I Where I was situated, I couldn't see all the way down the right field line. So I didn't see how far the ball went, but he he crushed the ball to right field that I think was a home run. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he actually looked pretty good. And he was, yeah, you've seen varying reports about his weight. Um, and even like our picture of him from Japan, he looks a little, kind of puffy um he um he was in better condition than some of the photos i'd seen of him in japan i thought
2: yeah i i would agree and that's i think that's one of the reasons why we had a tough time ranking him it's just because like we we didn't really have the chance to see him prior to doing our list and i've talked to people that do similar to what you do for other outlets that have seen him that have that have been impressed um you know the power has been mostly bp so far but um, His numbers have been good. The one thing that's been surprising to me is that they're playing him in center field in Winston-Salem. I don't think anybody thinks he's staying in center field, but, you know, I think it's interesting that they're, that they're trying it to start out with.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. I mean, I think he's probably an average runner when all is said and done. Um, and it's weird. Like, I don't know if they have a, a fly ball, I mean, a ground ball staff in Winston-Salem, but he only has nine putouts and seven starts which seems like a very small amount of putouts outs for a center fielder. Um, <laughs> I don't, again, it's a small sample size and, you know, I don't know if there just haven't been a lot of fly balls, but that seems kind of, <laughs> that seems kind of light. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think they're just kind of seeing what he can do. I mean, it's weird. Cause like, I mean, he was hard to rank. Cause you also get, you try to talk to people who've seen him and you, you just get like, you know, like I had guys who are like, like in Japan, I think at times when he was a little heftier, he was like a below average runner. And then there's people like, Oh, he might be a 55 runner. And I kind of settled on 50 and I, you know, I think he's probably a 45 to 50 runner when all is said and done. But, um, yeah, it is tough. You know? And, and that's what I was saying before. Like, like I know there's some places like, like it used to be not so much now, but I remember even, I remember, I guess it would have been what 2001 when I was doing the Cubs list of baseball America and they just signed Mark Pryor and, um, And Juan Cruz was like one of the hottest pitching prospects in baseball too. And I had people in the Cubs organization tell me that they thought I should rank Juan Cruz ahead of Mark Pryor because I think Cruz had gotten to double A or whatever and Pryor hadn't pitched yet. And I was like, but no, like, like the, like when you're lining guys up on a list, it's who's going to be better in the long run. So like, even though Mark Pryor hasn't pitched, you guys just gave him $10 million like, like, and it wasn't based on money. Like, Mark Pryor was one of the best pitching prospects I've ever seen. So, like, I it, it it but it does make it tough, especially like the difference between say a Mark Pryor and a Coloss is At least Pryor, we saw at Southern Cal, we saw with Team USA, you had some statistics, even though they're college statistics, you could read into them to some degree. And with Colossus, like he barely played. You know, he was more you know playing minor league ball in Japan, um, and then you had the whole. Cuban Otani like hype. They, you know, and he barely pitched, um, but like he was going to be the Cuban Otani for a while, and that and that calmed down because he's not pitching at all. But um, it, it is very hard to rank. It was very hard to rank Cespedes the year before. Um, you know, like he wasn't going to be at the top top of the list because they still had guys who hadn't graduated to the big leagues like Vaughn and Madrigal and. Um, I think I mean I think uh, they had three or four guys. I think Kopech hadn't graduated, right? And, and Crochet, none of those guys had graduated going into the year, um, so we weren't gonna put Cespedes one. But like with Cespedes, like, like I had I had very mixed reports on his bat from outside the White Sox system, and so it's like okay, like you know you, you you're not getting a whole lot of consistency on people saying, oh yeah, I think he can hit 280 and do this, or other guys saying oh, he might hit 230 and strike out a ton, and and it is tough when you don't have a whole lot to a whole lot to go on.
1: Not to throw a curveball your way, but looking at the top 10 in MLB Pipeline's top 30 prospect list for the Chicago White Sox, only one pitcher is listed, and that's Norhe Vera. We mentioned him briefly. Well, I
3: snuck Jared Kelly in at, at number 10, so I got two. Okay, there you go. So I appreciate you correcting me there. Now, that leads
1: me to my question of, where do you stand related to the way the White Sox are trying to build their pitching staff organizationally? How do you feel about the philosophy that they're uh, going about in the draft in terms of what uh, they want to do in terms of pitching? You know, obviously in the Big League club, there's some concerns there, but how do you, in the immediate sense, not seeing a lot in AAA. AA a double a has a handful of names, but where do you stand with the white Sox organizationally related to starting pitching or relief depth?
3: Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think there's any question that that's something they're trying to address. You know, obviously if you have to keep buying pitching at the big league level, it gets very expensive. Um, and, you know, I mean, they, they, I, I like their big league rotation. But, you know, there, there isn't a whole lot of depth if, if they have, you know, a bunch of injuries crop up. And, you know, I, I don't disagree with how they've gone about it. I mean, I, you know, it's funny. Like, I was talking to a, a guy who's a fan of another team uh, in the AL Central, ironically enough. And he's just, we're talking about all the pitchers who've been hurt this year, you know, for the draft. And he's just like, I don't know why, like, anybody would take a pitcher in the top 10. And I was like, well, like in the... Like you can't just say that. Like if if you like, you you have to evaluate the players. And yes, there's more risks with pitchers, but at the same time, if you don't take pitchers with early picks or put money into pitchers, like if you're relying on, hey, we're going to outsmart everybody and draft guys in the fourth round for slot, or like you're not going to find, you're not going to develop a lot of pitching that way either. So, you know, I I don't have a problem with how they've gone about it. Um, But I, I guess that was a long way of saying like there are people who think you shouldn't take like high school pitchers in the first round. And they haven't done that. You know, they've, they've invested a lot, obviously, in Matthew Thompson and Andrew Dahlquist and Jared Kelly. And they invested a lot in, in Norha on the international market. And,
0: you
3: know, it's, it's tough because I, I do think the 2020 pandemic really threw off the development of a lot of players, including Thompson and Dahlquist who, you know, were signed in 19, pitched, you know, what was it like five or six innings between them and rookie ball, just cursory token appearances. And then they didn't get a first full minor league season. And then that limits how many innings you could give them last year. And they were both really inconsistent. You know, Kelly, I honestly don't know what to make of Jared Kelly. I didn't get, and I didn't get to see any of these guys pitch on the backfields because none of them were pitching where I was the, the days I was there, but Kelly's conditioning was not good. It, it, it went south during the pandemic before the white Sox signed him and his body was not good last year. And he really struggled to throw strikes because of it. And, you know, Thompson, you know, had some injuries, nothing, you know, I think it was a hip flexor. It wasn't an arm, but like he was up and down, you know, Dahlquist, you know, I think his stuff is is, has gotten better, which they hoped, but you know, this was to be a polished guy and he couldn't throw strikes at all last year. So You know, I I don't know that those three guys in particular, like, you can make a definitive, I can make a definitive statement about what the White Sox are doing. Um, You know, and Vera just pitched in the DSL for contract reasons, you know, for tax purposes. So we're just going to have to see how those guys pan out. I I, I mean, I, I don't think the investments in those guys were bad. I mean, Sean Burke's an interesting one. Sean Burke may actually be a guy, I don't think it's out of the question that Sean Burke could be their best pitching prospect when we do rankings a year from now, um, but they don't have a lot of depth. You know, they they, they invested in another high school guy last year in Tanner McDougal, but he had Tommy John surgery, so we, we won't see him till 2023. So, um, you know, I I do think you know, I don't know that they're necessarily going to target pitching with a bunch of their early picks in this year's draft, but I think they realize that they, they, they need more pitching depth. Like, I, I mean, you guys talk to them too. I mean, they're, they're very well aware of that. You know, again, you know, the guys who were their young pitchers, the Dylan Ceases and the Kopecks and the Giolitos, those guys are up in the big leagues. You know, they, they do have interesting relievers. You know, Anderson Severino's got an interesting arm. Bennett Souza, you know, ha, you know, has some interesting stuff. You know, they, they do have some relief options, but, you know, to me, you know, your Jimmy, you know Jimmy Lambert's kind of that, up down back of the rotation fill in type of guy, they don't they don't really have a guy right now. I don't think that you can look at and say, okay, in twenty twenty three by mid twenty twenty three, here's the guy we're going to plug into the rotation. I they they just don't have that guy right now.
1: I'm really glad you brought up Sean Burke. That's uh, an advanced. Arm, uh, you know, college right hander, tall, lanky, he's got great stuff, throws hard. So, that's somebody that we're keeping an eye on here at Future Sox. So, thanks for bringing him up. And if I could switch gears a little bit sure. to your opinion of just in the White Sox system overall, is there anybody close to breaking MLB's top 100?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Colson Montgomery could, um, you know, and it's like in our, our list is kind of fluid because we graduate guys, you know, like once a guy loses his rookie status, like Jake Berger, I guess, I don't know how many major league days he's at right now, but once he spends his 40, was it 45 days? Yeah. Once he spends his 46 day on an active roster, not that Jake Berger's on our top 100, but Jake Berger's on our white Sox list. Boom. Jake Berger's gone and we replace him. So, I mean, I think if, if Colson, you know, continues to hit for average and control the strike zone, like he, like he has, and you know starts you know the, the power starts to manifest itself in some you know a f- some home runs and not just all doubles he's a guy and i also think again it's early but you know kolos if kolos comes out and, and he's played what seven games so it's like i'm not gonna read too much he, he's off to good start hi but like if, if oscar kolos let's say he hits 300 and he hits 15 homers in half a season uh you know then I think you know at midseason we'd be like hey we might have to think about this guy for the top 100 so I think those two guys and then I think the I, th- I think the sneaky guy although you know it's not loud loud tools where he's gonna hit I think you know 25 home runs or or anything like that but like Jose Rodriguez is pretty sneaky good he he, he kind of fits that profile of the guy who who winds up being a pretty good big leaguer and you're like hey nobody ever put this guy in a top 100 list but I mean he can he does. I don't think he has a below-average tool, and, and he can hit. And he's moved real quick for his age. He's already in Double A at age twenty. Um, he's just a sneaky good player. And so, you know, I mean, you know, depending on how the list looks, if we have a bunch of graduations, I, I wouldn't rule him out either. Like, I, I think he, but he, like I said, he might be one of those guys who, who gets to the big leagues and a different type of player. But Jeremy Pena was that way, and I know he's on some top one hundred list, but we haven't ever ranked Jeremy Pena on our top one hundred, and. I think Jose Rodriguez could kind of be one of those guys who gets to the big leagues as a pretty good player who, who never makes it.
2: Yeah, Jim, another guy that I've always thought was interesting is Brian Ramos, just because of like how young he's like always been. He's 20 now. He's going to play the whole year at 20 at Winston. Um, he's been off to a really good start, too, like you know, hitting for power, but he, do, he doesn't really walk much, and I think it's probably important for him to stay at least at third, right? Because if he ends up at first, I mean, he's going to have to – Really hit, but I yeah I've just I've always like kind of thought he was interesting too.
3: I, I do too. Like he he's always hit. Um, he's always been young for his age. Uh, you know, last year he he only hit two forty four, but that was coming off the pandemic. He was nineteen years old in low A, and he had a shoulder injury. Um, uh, that bothered him. I, I had a DH. I think a lot of the first half. I I think he's got really good bat on ball skills. Um. You know, he, he walked okay last year. He doesn't walk a ton, but he's not – you know, I think he's one of those guys who's going to walk roughly 10% of his plate appearances. So it'll be – it's not going to be a high walk guy, but I think it'll be enough. Like, I, I to me, you know, his ceiling would be a guy who could hit like 280, you know, maybe get you, you know, 15, 20 home runs, um, you know, draw a decent amount of walks. And like you say I, I think – You know, I think that the the trickiest thing when evaluating prospects is figuring out what position they're going to play, because I mean, like you just said, if Ramos can stay at third, that's a lot more value than if he's at first. Because I I don't know that he quite has that. He might he might get there, but I don't know that he quite has enough offense that like you're looking for from your first baseman, but he would be good offensively at third base. And he's he's okay. He's not super quick, but he's got pretty good hands. He's got okay range. I mean, they've even played him at second some. Um, I don't know that I think he's really quick enough to play second. You know, he might be one of the more of those like shift second baseman, you know, where he could get away with it. Um, but um, yeah, I like him. And I, and I think just because he's been so young and, you know, he played rookie ball and then he lost a year to the pandemic and he didn't put up loud numbers, But it, but a 760 ops for a 19 year old in low A while he's hurt <laughs> is pretty good. Like, like the, the secondary numbers were pretty good. So I, I think he's flown under the radar. And you know, like it, it did, like I have him, like, I mean, I have a million infielders. Like I have, I have Montgomery, Rodriguez, calf Berger, Romy Gonzalez, and Brian Ramos. So I have him as the sixth best infielder in the system. But like, if you told me he jumped up, like if you told me Brian Ramos was, you know, in their top five prospects at the end of the season, I think that's very possible too. I I think he that's a good call. I think he's he just hasn't put up like huge numbers or or been that high up in the minors. But I I think he's he's very quietly one of the better hitters in their system.
2: One guy you mentioned was Jake Berger. I know you've always been a fan. We've you know we've loved that story. He's he's in the big leagues right now because Johan Moncada is not there. Um, I guess like it's probably true that what's good for the White Sox ultimately won't end up being good for Jake Berger because I, there's just not a spot. Like they've, they have more bats than spots, obviously, you know, it's good to have depth and he could fill in, but I mean, is his best course maybe being somewhere else. And do you think that other teams are interested in Jake Berger? He looks like a guy that could hit at least lefties probably in the big league. Yeah. I mean,
3: yeah, yeah. I think, I think all that's fair. Like, I, I do. I, I've always, anybody's ever talked to me. I, I just have a lot of respect for the Missouri state program. I mean, I, I've, I've covered this stuff for years. I used to be the college guy when I started off at baseball America, 30 something years ago and Missouri state just always has a good program and they produce a ton of big leaguers and you just don't hear much about them. And, you know, burger, you know, tremendous story. I mean, a couple serious Achilles injuries and then a heel injury. And he basically didn't play for, three years, unless we, I don't What was it the car shield collegiate league? Like he got a little time in during the pandemic. Um, and then he came back and he was kind of Jake Berger all over again, which is pretty amazing considering he lost three years of at bats. And yeah, I mean, I, I think he is stuck because, you know, he's not going to play ahead of, of Mankata at the big league level. I, I do think he's, you know, for a guy who's six 30, I'm not saying he's a great athlete, but like, I think he's like, sneakily athletic. Like I think he can run close to average and I think he can, you know, play a pretty decent third base. Um, you know, the, the, the problem is too, it's like, yes, he would have, like, he, he's not going to probably play a lot for the White Sox unless, you know, injuries, you know, open the door for him, but at the same time, he's already 26. He hits right-handed. Um, there's not a ton of position versatility. So I don't know that you're going to get a ton and trade for him. Like the interesting thing, and like like we we're just talking about Brian Ramos. Like I know Burgers played some second base. Eh, that's probably a stretch at the big league level. You know, maybe with shifting and positioning. You know, I, I've always seen Larry Garcia to me personally as more of a utility guy than a guy I would play every day. Um, I just you know I, that's just what I think he is. I think he's better that way um but larry garcia is a lot better defensively than than jake berger is at second so you'd have to get jake you know jake would have to really outproduce him i think by a lot so um i'm happy for jake it was cool seeing him hit the home run the other night um but yeah, he he is a little bit blocked. Um, you know, May, 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 he needs to hope he keeps hitting, you know, three seventy five, and then he could be this year's your Mercedes, and Larusso will have to keep him in the lineup or something. But um, yeah, I just like I mean, even if he keeps doing this, you're not when Moncada is going to come back say, well, okay, you're on. um, you got to wait till Jake cools off. But yeah, um, so I, I I do think there are teams he could start on, but I don't think that the white Sox are necessarily one of them and like we were talking about with with andrew vaughn and, and the outfielders like there, there aren't really even that many at-bats at dh especially because i think they you know like i mean they're they're trying to maximize the offensive production they're getting out of yasmani Grandal by not wearing him down at catcher and so like that leaves fewer at-bats for dh for somebody
2: so the last thing I have for you, you know, we talked about merging with Sox Machine. Me and Josh Nelson published our first mock draft of the year last week. Um, <laughs> projected it. Was it, all it just the way. for the White
3: Sox, or was it for? for no, all... we did,
2: did. We did the whole first round. But, oh, nice, nice. But we but we did separate picks for the White Sox, and you know, I went with Justin Crawford, Carl Crawford's son, obviously you know well, and then Josh went Gabriel Hughes, the righty from Gonzaga. Um, did, did those make sense in that area? Um, obviously, that's one. You know, it's a high high school position player. College pitching seems like the most likely demographic, but who knows? It's early. Yeah, I mean, well, it, it, I, I would definitely
3: agree with you guys, and um, I would bet on a hitter. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I, I don't know if Gabriel Hughes is going to get there because the college pitching has just been devastated by injuries this year. Like, like we have, we have Gabriel Hughes, and he'll be higher. We're working on a new list. A new top 150, but Gabriel Hughes was number 41 on our top 100 coming into the year. There's no college pitcher ahead of him who's healthy oh, yeah. and pitching in a week pitching in a weekend rotation right now. The only the, and there's only one who's healthy and pitching, and that's Blade Tidwell, who was hurt and came back. But Tennessee's weekend rotation until like this week has been great. So he, they've just been easing him back like in midweek games and a little bit of relief action. Um, and then Carson Winston not hurt, but he's suspended for the whole year. Um, and then there's a ton of guys who are hurt. So um, like Gabriel Hughes would be a nice pick for them because as we talked about, they need nice pitching. But I just think that somebody's going to want a college pitcher before 26, and I think he's the first one taken. So I think it's less likely that Hughes gets to them and just the nature of this whole draft. I think it's probably more likely that um, – that it winds up being a hitter um, because teams don't like to take high school pitchers high. There might be some good high school pitchers. You know, there's, there's Andrew Dukenich in Indiana. There's Brock Porter in Michigan. And those are typically guys who they're good, but teams try to take them with their second pick and and maybe there'd be some value. And and, and we know Mike Shirley loves his Indiana guys. So maybe we should just give him Andrew Dukenich, but um, um, no, Justin Crawford's a good one too. Like, like you noted, he's Carl Crawford's son, super athletic. Um, you know he's having a good year um, i think he probably goes in that 20 to 40 25 to 45 range right now um, so i could definitely i could definitely see that too i will do a mock draft in a couple of weeks i haven't started on it yet so um i don't i, I don't have a, a white sox pick uh, per se um, but uh, if, if i if i was forced at gunpoint right now to pick a pick for the white sox at 26, without having any idea what they're thinking or who they're like, I'm just going to give them Andrew Dukanich because uh, I'm going to take the cop out and I'll just keep giving Mike Shirley players from Indiana in the early rounds. So um, I'll go Andrew Ducanich, Um Although I don't necessarily, that, that, that's just me being a little silly, but yeah, it's, it's tough. And, and I will say this, like even trying to line up our top 150 right now, my first, you know, 15 or 20 names on that list that Jonathan Mayo and I are putting together I feel pretty good about the first fifteen or twenty-five names, and then, um, then it's a mess. <laughs> like, like I already, we've sent out our twenty-one to forty to a bunch of directors and cross checkers for feedback, and I'm already second guessing how we have the guys from twenty-one to forty lined up. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be very, very interesting. You know, thank God we have three weeks to figure this out. I mean, three weeks, three months. The draft's so far away because it is just very, very confusing right now.
1: Jim outstanding stuff. It's April, baseball's back. We're talking to Jim Callis about prospects in the draft. All things are right in the world. Hey, are the White Sox winning the World
3: Series this year or what? You know, it's funny. So we, we picked pre- I I think I picked the Dodgers, but I had the Dodgers beating the White Sox. Um I was trying to think I I as I know, I was trying to think back way to make our picks for MLB. I did have the White Sox winning the American League Pennant. I did have them losing to the Dodgers, although Picking the Dodgers is almost I mean, not that they're a lock, but like on paper they're just the best team. So like I don't know how exciting that was. I I had a I had a reprise of the nineteen fifty nine World Series, but um I, I mean, I I do like this White Sox team a lot. Um and, and I think they could. Are you are you I mean, I know you guys are, are obviously biased, but uh you guys must feel pretty good about the White Sox, right?
1: Yeah, I'd like to see them add a quality starter at some point before the deadline and I'll feel better and uh, hopefully they stay healthy. James, what do you think? Yeah,
2: they got a shot. I mean, I'm the big, uh, you know, the, the regular season determines the best team and the playoffs determine like the winner of the tournament. So, exactly. you know, you got you to gotta win your division a bunch and get in and hopefully, uh, you know. It's a lot of variants and I'm, I'm that guy. So people are annoyed by mm-hmm. me because well, no, but it's true. I, I don't it's like, so it's I don't funny. like picking the playoffs cause I, I don't know. I don't know.
3: <laughs> well, but- no, I, James that's perfectly fair. And, and I agree with that. And it's funny cause like, you can't really say that. Like if you go on radio shows and talk about how, you know, the, the playoffs are basically crapshoot, but like, that's essentially what it is. And like, it, you know, so you're going to play 162 games. Like you said, I mean, win the division and get a buy that, that that's, that's the only thing that matters. And then it's just who gets hot for three weeks. And the, the best team doesn't always win. Um, and like, the nice thing is, I mean, I cannot see any way the white Sox don't get into the playoffs. Like, I mean, I, I guess they could have just an unbelievable amount of injuries, but just if you look at how talented they are, a compared to the rest of their division and B, I, I mean, I can't see, I, I can't envision a scenario where they wouldn't get one of the three wild cards at worst.
1: There it is. There you have it. Jim Callis. Thank you so much.
3: Yeah. Hey, great talking to you guys. That was
1: Jim Callis, senior writer for MLB Pipeline. Does a lot of prospect work, as you could tell from MajorLeagueBaseball.com. That was a fun interview, James. There's a lot to take away from there, and we can go over it quickly. Some of the things he was highlighting regarding the outfielders was was fascinating. You know, he didn't dismiss the fact that Cespedes could be an, a, a Major League outfielder, but You know, a little bit of concern. Maybe we got to dial back our expectations for him specifically. He was pretty high on Oscar Colas. I think the question you asked him was really interesting, like regarding uh, you know what he could turn into and potentially be a top one hundred prospect. But the Jose Rodriguez bite, yeah, give me give me more of that. And he's very high on Jose Rodriguez.
2: Yeah, and I think they have him third, right? Which is as high as. Anybody has him, which, which is interesting. I mean, he scuffled a little bit early here in, in double a, which, uh, you know, it's double a, it's hard. And he, he doubled twice, uh, last night, which what would have been Friday night. He, he had two doubles. So, but the thing is if it, you know, if he turns it around with the Barons, like, I mean, Jose Rodriguez could be in the big leagues like pretty soon. Like he right. mentioned next year. I mean, he could be their second baseman next year. I mean, he could be, cause if you hit it double a, you know, you're, you're a real prospect. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. So the, the Colas stuff is fascinating to me just because like I, I'm eating up anything from anyone that's actually seen him. It's very hard, you know, it was very hard to rank him. And we talked about that. And even people that, you know, have access to more people than we do had a tough time ranking him. But, you know, there's been, there's been writers from baseball, America writers from baseball Prospectus that have seen him, you know, scouts have been to Winston, um, cause that team's interesting. And, you know it's just prodigious left-handed power like in BP mostly but then in games he's kind of been taking what the other team has given him and you know i Kolas is hitting 321 406 429 early on he's walking over 12% he's only striking out 15% of the time i don't know how long he's going to stay in winston you would think the power is going to come but you know if he goes to birmingham and does similar Yeah, I mean, I think he's a top 100 guy, like, pretty soon.
1: Yeah, that's really good stuff, too. I mean, he was transparent about Jared Kelly as well, James, talking about his conditioning. I mean, there's a lot there, and to Kelly's credit, he's going to start this year, and it's going to be a big year. You know, he wants to prove the organization, prove to himself that he belongs as a highly touted prospect. You know, obviously, we're just saying this out loud, not speaking to him, but of course, as a competitor, this is what... You know he has to do. He has to have success if he wants to compete at a high level as we expect him to to do ultimately. Any other things that you took away from the conversation we just had with Jim callis here, James? You know, I think the
2: Colson stuff was expected, you know, Colson Montgomery, I think we wrestled with other guys, right? Norge Vera and some of us, like West Calf and Cespedes is obviously clearly has his issues. But I mean, Colson Montgomery's the number one prospect in this system for a reason. Yes, he's 20, so he's a little bit more advanced. We had that conversation last year. But, you know, he's in a, he's in low A, first season, you know, in full season affiliated baseball with a 460 on base percentage down there. So he's not hitting for a ton of power, but he's walking, you know, which portends very well for the future. I think he's got three or four doubles already. Um, you know, he's he's striking out a lot, but I don't really care about that because the walks are coming too. I mean, it's a one fifty-four weighted runs created plus early on in Canapolis in his debut. So that's you know, that's been impressive. Jim didn't talk about this much, but the whole Canapolis team is like insane to me, the turnaround. Like they're, you know, leading the what is now the Carolina League in offense, which is a far cry from what the the discussions that we were having on this podcast last year. You can check out our last podcast as James goes in depth about that specific topic
1: on the Blue Wire Network. We are now partners with Sox Machine and also available on every podcasting platform that you could think of. So please subscribe to the Future Sox podcast and continue to follow us on futuresox.com. That is, again, now part of SoxMachine.com. Go to our Twitter, at futuresox to. Keep an eye on everything. That's, that's our main hub of providing information, posting content. You'll see updates daily regarding the minor league affiliates as well as updates on players that we're featuring. And you can see our content creators at JamesFox917 on Twitter share his thoughts as well. I'm at Rankin906 again. Think about becoming a Patreon. It really does help us out. It continues to allow us to grow and it's uh, it's paid dividends in the end. And we want to thank you specifically the supporter of us at Future Sox. Think about becoming a Patreon. Go to SoxMachine.com to sign up there if you wish. For James Fox, my name's Mike Rankin. Take us into consideration as your weekly routine on Tuesdays. We will post our podcast every Tuesday morning. So look forward to that. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week.